Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm glad he said youth. That's good. That makes me feel a little better. I'm youthy. Okay. So it is true, though. Student ministry, that's our worship, some of our worship teams. Not all of them. We have quite a few kids who lead in that way. Uh, and if you have a middle school or high school student and looking for a place to plug in, to a godly community that's trying to honor God and uh, build relationships with each other. Tuesday nights, uh, 5 to 7.30. Yep, 5 to 7.30. I'll get it right in a second. But we do worship. We do teaching. We split up into small groups. And we also have our basketball court and volleyball court stuff in the back and have a good time. So we'd love to have you. And there, we also serve pizza. You know, that's, that's a must, right? So, all right. So let's get started in this uh, for today. Um, couple of pictures to get us started. Our first one, a stop sign. Everyone kind of knows what a stop sign is, right? Uh, I don't, well, I shouldn't say that. I drive in Columbia. I don't know if everyone knows what a stop sign is. But the idea is, is that you stop. And it's a present sign. The sign is communicating something for the present, the right now. Stop, because you could cause an accident. You could be in an accident. You could hurt somebody. Yourself could be hurt. Stop, right? That's a sign. They're important. Signs are important. Our second sign. So that parking to the left, left-hand turn. If you turn right, you're not going to find the parking. It is telling you where to go to find parking. It is a, you know, if you need to park, that's a good sign for you. And you follow it, you find the parking lot. You just hope it's not full. But the reality is, is that it's, again, another sign of the present telling you what you need to do or know to get what you want, right? So we have signs that kind of reflect in the present. And then we have things called memorials. Help us to remember things in the past. This is the Vietnam War Memorial in D.C. This memorial is pretty heavy. I've been there, was there with my father-in-law, who was a Marine. Uh, he was a medic in Vietnam. Uh, and so it was a pretty emotional time. It is overwhelming, I'll say. But it's a memorial to remind us of what we lost, maybe what we should or should not do, but it helps us to stay connected to something in the past. There's another memorial. This is in Berlin. It's a Holocaust memorial. Again, connecting something to the past to help us to remember, to be reminded. And so maybe, maybe you've lost someone in your family and you have a token that helps you to remember them, that reminds you of something of their life. You know, maybe it's a Christmas ornament, maybe it's a favorite dish, maybe it's a wedding band, I don't know. But a lot of us probably have that experience. Some of you have traditions that you've created for your family because you wanted to remember certain things. Uh, maybe... Um, it's a Christmas tradition. We started a new Christmas tradition in our family. It was hide Jesus, find Jesus, read the story of Jesus before we open presents. And we did that because that was something that was important to us, so we wanted to pass that on. But you probably, if, as a family, have some kind of traditions to connect something from the past and the present, maybe even something for the future. But one symbol that we do have that connects the past, the present, and the future is our wedding bands. For those who are married, so the wedding band in the past 
declares your covenant relationship with God and the person that you're marrying, your spouse. It's the past. We've made this covenant relationship. The present is saying, I'm taken. So any of you single, I'm taken, sorry. I'm out. I bow out. But it's, it's a signal, a sign that you're not available, that you have given yourself to someone else. But it's also a promise for the future to be faithful, to move forward in covenant relationship. So that's one way we celebrate with this ring. Well, God has given us something similar. He's given us some things to do that help us remember the past, to remember the present, and to look forward in the future. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be talking about two ordinances that the church practices, communion and baptism. And we're gonna be talking about communion today and looking at how God has connected 3,500 years of history into one practice. And an ordinance, I've said that word and you're like, what is an ordinance? Uh, military uses ordinance. I know there's laws about ordinance. That means, so an ordinance in the church world means that it's a ceremony or a custom that we do because Jesus said to do it. That's pretty much it. It doesn't mean that I receive anything from it. It's not like I, I get, like if I take communion, it doesn't mean I receive grace from God. What it means is that I'm remembering the grace giver. So I put it this way. It's a means to acknowledge and remember the grace giver. So when we do ordinances, this is about remembering him. It's not about receiving from him, but it's about God. So as we look forward to our study today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, help us to fully understand how through history, you have shown yourself to be the author of life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we are gonna, we're gonna travel through time in some ways. Um, so we're gonna be looking at Exodus chapter 12, the backdrop, this is Moses. Mo, a lot of us know who Moses is. <clears throat> Moses was called by God to free his people in slavery, the Jewish people has been under slave in Egypt and they've grown to be a massive community. And God says, I've heard their cries. They've been under slavery for 400 years. It's time to let them go. Now, this was like 1446 BC. So around what, 3,300 years ago, 3,300 years ago. That's a long time. And so in order to get his people to be let go, Moses is going reluctantly and then willingly. He does, God uses miracles and plagues to call the 10 plagues. The first nine didn't work. Pharaoh's like, no. The 10th one, that one's gonna work because it's a doozy. And it is the beginning of what we celebrate today in communion. So, in Exodus chapter 12, we're going to read this historic account. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month 
of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households, one animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, the person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. Just for a second, I mean, a few million people, a couple hundred thousand households, slaughtering at the same time. It's kind of graphic. It's kind of a big deal. Like this is, I'm not, I don't know. It just sounds kind of gross, but this is what God told him to do. Verse seven, they must take some of the blood and put it on the two, the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they will eat them. They are to eat the meat that night they should eat it roasted over a fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. I mean, I'm a bread lover, but unleavened bread, not so much. It's a dense bread, and there's no pun in that. But the reality is it doesn't have any yeast. It doesn't get all nice and fluffy and yummy like a, like a nice sub roll. Mmm. French bread. Mmm. All right. No, it's dense. And then it says, do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over a fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Hungry for lunch now? Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain before morning. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed to travel. Your sandals are on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judges against all the gods of Egypt. The blood of the houses where you are staying will be, distinct, will be a distinguishing mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it through your generations as a permanent statute. You celebrate this for the rest of your lives, forever and ever, as you are called to Israel, you will always celebrate this. And then it goes on to a little bit more about some details, but let's go down to verse 24. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you are to observe this ritual. When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You would reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshiped. 
Then the Israelites went and did this, and they did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So 3,500 years ago, 33, 3,500 years ago, God established the Passover feast. He established as a sign of his deliverance for his people, a memorial to celebrate, to always be reminded that God is their deliverer, no one else. And that blood is always required to be delivered. To be delivered from his wrath. Again, this feast of Passover was established 33-ish, 100 years ago. Why? It was a feast to acknowledge and remember the grace giver. It's all about God. They've been practicing this for years. I mean, still practice today. But about 1,500 years after Moses was given the Passover feast and given to the people, Jesus shows up on the scene. 1,500 years. Jesus shows up, and near the end of his life, he enters into his last meal with his disciples, people that he's been training and teaching, doing miracles with. They are all over the place, teaching, touching people, healing. It's just an amazing three years. But his last meal together was on what day? Passover. So in Luke chapter 22, we saw what happened about 3,500 years ago. Now we're gonna look about what happened about 2,000 years ago. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the, hour, when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Okay, now, if you're one of his disciples hanging out with Jesus, Jesus has said some stuff that's made you a little like, ooh, here he goes again. He's saying he fervently desired in other words, he's, he's all in on this meal. I mean, he's, he's loving it. Because he says, I am about to suffer. And if you know, you're one of his guys, you're like, what is he? He's going off again. I mean, what is he talking about? For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Another weird statement. Like, what? We eat it every year. What are you talking about? Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes. He goes, what do you mean? We drink wine? What? I don't understand. You're not going to drink this again? This is good stuff. Now, come on. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you were in the room... What do you mean? You're right here, Jesus. I can touch you. What do I have to remember about you? You're right here. And what do you mean your body's broken? You look perfectly fine to me. I mean, be, it's just another weird thing. Jesus has said some things that makes everybody get a little confused. Just another one. They're going, to, they're probably on the side going, like, here he goes again. I mean, and then he goes on. And in the same way, he also took the cup of the supper after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Now, right there, years ago new covenant 
We're already in a covenant. What are you talking about? A new covenant. And what do you mean it's in your blood? You, you're not spilling. What's wrong? You're, you're not cut. You're not spilling no blood anywhere. I I'm confused, Jesus. And do this. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the son of man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue amongst themselves which of them it could be who is going to do this thing. Now, I don't know. Like, there are, who's gonna betray Jesus? I don't know. But what's this new covenant thing? There's nothing about that. Like, what do you mean we're drinking your blood? What is going on? Like, there's a whole lot of questions. Whole lot of questions. But here's what Jesus is saying. The Passover that has been celebrated for almost 1,500 years to this point, I'm about ready to change it. I'm gonna add some new significance to it. Here's the new significance. I'm the Passover lamb. I'm gonna replace what used to be with something new. My body's gonna be broken for you. My blood will be spilt for you for the forgiveness of sin so that you might be saved from the wrath of God. In fact, if you believe in me, my blood will be in your hearts and God will pass over you. His wrath will not be upon you. He is our substitute. He has taken the place of us to bear the wrath of God. So in this moment, Jesus is taking Passover and turning it into what we call communion in the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 8.13 says this, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So what he's saying is because of this new covenant, Passover as it was known is going away. It's no longer celebrated that way. You will now celebrate it this way. Because I and the Passover lamb. Now, this is what we do. We take wonderful, beautiful things and we mess it up, our sin nature, right? We have this beautiful opportunity to remember what Jesus has done on our behalf, but sin creeps in. So the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they're messing up. And with every good thing, there are some warnings. And believe it or not, communion, the Lord's Supper, comes with some warnings. And we're going to read through this. Because we must know this before we take communion today. So, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Now, in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you. Hmm, pretty strong words, right? Like, Man, I don't praise what you guys are doing. You guys are goofing up. Since you, come, so since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So there's factions in the church. 
And there are little groups propping up their little people saying, yeah, I believe what you got. Oh, let's do it that way. And so they're supporting each other and they're not unified. Therefore, when you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper ahead of others. So one person is hungry while the other gets drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. So the early church was coming together for communion, Lord's Supper, church meeting. You could name all those things. But they were doing it in a very selfish and harmful way. In fact, there is some evidence that when they would come together to meet, they would meet as a church over a meal and celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of that meal. And the Lord's Supper is actually part of the feast and the remembrance of who God was. And that when you would come together, the more well-off folks would bring more food. Those with less means would bring what they can, but they would share it amongst each other. So if you want to know where the first potluck dinner for church came from, it's right here. This is evidence that church potluck dinners can really turn into messy moments. But here's the reality. Those who were more fortunate were supposed to be sharing with those who were less. And that everyone was equal at the table, but they weren't acting like it. They were not acting like it. And so the more popular part of this verse comes right after this, which is what we read almost every time we do communion. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he's going like, guys, y'all are doing it wrong. It is all about this. It's not about you getting what you want and the faction doing this. And it's not about you eating before everybody else. No, it's about you guys are all equal, all come together, and we all remember Jesus. So he rebukes, lays out what you're supposed to be doing. And then verse 27 begins this, but you better be careful how you do it. There's some self-examination that needs to take place because this is a really big deal. So verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in an unworthy way, will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So just for a moment, if I do something, in an, if I take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, I am sinning against God. Period. 
So if that is true, which it is, then I must make sure I don't do this in an unworthy manner, right? Okay, we got it. We got, so that's what we're doing right now. We're figuring this out. So, so a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So the idea here is he's going back a little bit to what verse 17 um, started, 17 through 22, was that we are the body of Christ, unified by Jesus, and there is no one greater or less than. We are all the same. And if there's anything against someone, you got to fix it. You got to fix this. This is about unity in the body. And if you don't, you'll have judgment on yourself. And this is where it gets really interesting. I'm going to read this. I want you to listen to what this says. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep slash dead. Say what? Because you've taken communion in an unworthy manner, I could get sick? I could even die? I, that, doesn't, that doesn't calibrate in my head, personally. Personally, it doesn't calibrate. Like, what are you talking about? But this is talking about the significance of communion. The proclamation of the gospel is in communion. And if we take it lightly or do it unworthy... We are judged. Now, in this, there's nowhere else in Scripture it talks about this. So we can't unpack all of this. But this is what it says. So you need to wrestle with this and understand that there is significance in communion. And he goes on to say, if we were properly evaluating ourselves, in other words, humbling ourselves before God, asking God to show us in our lives what needs to be confessed and what I need to make right, if we do this, if we are evaluating ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we will be disciplined by the Lord, corrected by him, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home. So when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. And I will give instructions about the other matters when I come. This is kind of heavy. I mean, it's just a little cracker and a little bit of juice. But it's not. But it's not. See, if our behavior, if in our behavior we despise, hurt, or humiliate one another, we sin against the sacrifice of Jesus' body and his blood. It's a big deal. So when we take communion, one, we have to, we have to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus. Number two, we gotta be right with God. We need to confess our sin and our wrongs and we need to make things right with others. That, that, that's really critical. I mean, unless you want judgment, possibly get sick and ill and die, that just blows my mind. But it's just about the importance of what we're doing. 
So there's five ways, hangers, whatever practices for communion that I want us to look at. Number one is we should look back in remembrance. Communion is about remembrance. It's about the history and the sacrifice of our Savior. The history of God writing his story. Number two, we should look up in thanksgiving. That we should have a thankful heart that Jesus was willing to be the substitute for me. To pay the penalty once and for all so that I could be free. Number three, we should look around to make sure that we are in a right relationship with others. That we are in a relationship of fellowship and love with God's people. Number four, we should look in for self-examination. Are you right with God? Is there something you need to confess? Is there, are you humbling yourself before God and giving all of your stuff to him. And number five, we should look forward to our Lord's coming again to find hope in the victory of Jesus that in one day there will be kingdom, God's kingdom on earth. There will be no more tears. There will be celebration and feasting and worship that we will have the ultimate joy in the presence of our Heavenly Father. So as we look at these, our bottom line, the thing to walk away with is the reality that communion was given to the church as a means for people from all backgrounds to acknowledge and remember the grace giver together. Together. And so this morning, this right before we do communion here, some of you in this room may need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe after hearing this, you're going like, oh man, I didn't know this was all connected. 3,500 years of history leading to one moment, this moment right now that we are celebrating communion, which was given to us in Passover 3,500 years ago to remember the grace giver. And so this morning, maybe you wanna give your life to the grace giver. Some of you in this room, you already have. And you might need a little self-examination to confess your sin to him. So for the next moment, I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if the elders wanna come forward, a couple questions. If you are here this morning and you've never given yourself to the Lord, you've never put your trust in him and you want to do that this morning because you want to take communion you want to partake in what has been going on in the history of humanity for 3500 years because you identified Jesus as the savior you realize that he is drawing you to himself that right now this is your moment to give your life to him and let's pray let's pray follow my prayer heavenly father I'm a sinner I need Jesus. I recognize that Jesus died on the cross, paid my penalty for the forgiveness of sin.
and that he exchanged his life for mine so that I could have a relationship with a heavenly father. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. And if you've done that, you can take communion this morning. But we'd love to know if you made that decision. For those of you who've already made that decision, it is time for you to confess those sins, to get right with God, to think about remembrance. To think about the history and the sacrifice. Don't take communion lightly because it represents the gospel. So the elements are going to be passed and just take a few moments of processing the depth and the truth that comes with communion. as we spent the 
this message looking at the reality of communion, the significance of it, how to approach it. Go back to the words of Paul. To partake in communion together. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant established in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take together. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, church, we, church, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. So the welcome team, they're going to pass some baskets to pick up the cups. But a couple of reminders before we get down and do a little bit more celebration because it is time to embrace the hope for us in Christ today. That there's a basket up here for our Feed the Flock. For those in our family, and our church family who are in need, you can donate and they'll go straight, straight to them. There's some gluten-free crackers up here if you need that. And also, we will be here to help your families if you want to get your kids to practice communion. And there will be opportunities for prayer with elders and pastors after the service. But the worship, the kids are going to come out, students are going to come out, lead us in a couple more songs to celebrate the joy and the hope that we have in the resurrected Savior. Let's join together in some worship today.